Do you follow sports? Oh my god. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The uh I like smaller teams, like the not the big leagues. I like the like um the Orlando Blooms. You can stop. You 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 don't follow sports. I I'm sorry, I don't. Previously re-recorded live. From Paulina Avenue. In the heart of Chicago, Illinois. Carrie and Mauro presents Secret Cinema. Hey everyone! Welcome to the Secret Cinema, the film podcast that's in an open relationship with Hollywood. My name is Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and this week we're rejoined by writer, production designer, and fellow podcaster Jeff Cheney to discuss Judd Apatow's 2015 big-budget comedy drama, Trainwreck. Now, Trainwreck is a break from the obscure, forgotten, and critically ignored films that we usually discuss, but fear not. Our opinions differ from the consensus considerably, and we'll be back to our standard fare in the next episode. Also, for those of you who bypassed our website and the episode's description, our guest, Mr. Jeff Cheney, designed the artwork for this episode, and I want to mention it here so I don't have to adjust the end credits. Anywho, here's Carrie with the plot summary. From an early age, Amy and her sister were told by their father that monogamy is not realistic. Now, Amy is all grown up. She's living in New York, working at a successful magazine, and hooking up with whomever she pleases. But Amy gets assigned to cover an up-and-coming sports doctor named Aaron, and is forced to confront her objections to monogamy. Will Amy find a way to make commitment work for her, or will she end up a train wreck? Like all of Judd Apatow's films, Trainwreck leans heavily on improvisation and features numerous scenes where normal, written dialogue interacts awkwardly with blatant riffing. Since comedy is fairly subjective, I wanted to try an experiment. Remember the sample I played at the beginning of the episode where Amy lies to Aaron about liking sports? Well, in case you don't, it's short, so here it is again. Do you follow sports? Oh my god. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The, uh, I like smaller teams, like the, not the big leagues. I like the, like, um, the Orlando Blooms. You can stop. You, you, you don't follow sports. I, I'm sorry, I don't. Sounds fine, right? Well, that might be in part because I edited all of the improv out of that short clip. Here's that same clip, but exactly as it plays in the film. Do you follow sports? Oh my god. Sports? I love them. Who are your favorite teams? The, uh, I like smaller teams, like the, not the big leagues. I like the, like, um, Long Island Mediums. The, the Acorn Pine Cones. I haven't heard the of them. The Fire Island Penguins. I like the Cincinnati Thunder Wizards. You can stop. The Orlando Blooms. You can stop. You, you, you don't follow sports. I, I'm sorry, I don't. You might find some of those riffs funny, but you can also hear how they disrupt the flow of conversation and undercut the emotional honesty with blatant attempts at getting laughs. This is a problem that plagues nearly every scene and the fundamental structure of the film. To illustrate this further, our next clip is an early scene from the film in which Amy and her fellow writers at Snuff Magazine have their standard morning meeting. 
The only truly relevant elements in this scene are the introductions of Diana, Amy's boss, and Donald, an intern, as well as the process through which Amy is assigned to write a story on Aaron. Otherwise, everything else is throwaway exposition, jokes, or improv. The clip is long, a little over four minutes, so you can get a feel for how all of this plays together, but really, if you think this clip is too long or this scene is too sloppy, well, imagine two hours of this. Here's that clip. Okay, my babes, I want your undivided. I've been looking at your pictures, and these are my thoughts. Nikki, why are you smiling? I'm not smiling. I'm just very nervous. Stop smiling. Stop smiling. That's even more, Nikki. The more nervous I get, the more I smile, so... Stop smiling. Stop it. Stop it. Nikki, shut it down. Come on, bring it down. Bring it down. That's it. I'm sick of your ginger nonsense. I don't want to see those gnashers. No, stop it. What's this? That's our new intern, Donald. Thought we were getting a chick, but he's here. Okay. Welcome, Donald. Welcome to Snuff, where we are teaching the strong-willed man how to dress, think, eat, fuck. Do you like the magazine, Donald? Oh, yeah, it's pretty much all I read. Good answer. Look, this is ours. This is ours. Right, we made this. What's our demographic? Every, Every fucking one. Yeah. Thank you. You can go now. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's a big opportunity, so... Right. Pitch me. <clears throat> Pitch me hard. Schultz? So, I was thinking of something called the Snuff Guide to Beating Off at Work. Where to do it, how to do it, how not to get caught. How to get caught? Makes it more fun. Yeah, I already started the research, guys. <laughs> Bryson? Okay, I got one. You're not gay, she's boring. Good. Yeah. Fantastic, I can see it. Thank you. Okay, I have another to pitch. Maybe a cover, I don't know. Uh, you call those tits? That's good, yeah. And then maybe like a where are they now piece about uh, the kids Michael Jackson gave settlements to. Good, I wanna know. That's good, yeah. I play ice hockey with one of them, I'll get an email. Yeah, that's good. Right, so assignments. Schultz, you're on the Ryan Filippi piece. Oh, yes. what? Crash was epic. I was thinking I would take a stab. At the Philippi piece. No, 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 Ryan, I tell you, he is in a major funk right now, and he will respond much better to a male who is neither attractive nor masculine. Blam! It's me right here. <laughs> Bryson, I've got a red mark by your name. Yes, okay. I am pitching Dr. Aaron Connors. Uh, he works with some of the Knicks. He's this incredible young sports physician on the rise, and he just created this revolutionary knee insert that cuts recovery time in half. He's about to perform it on Amari Stoudemire. It'll be the first time it's ever been done on a pro athlete. If we get this, we'll have access to the biggest names in sports. LeBron, Durant, Blake Griffin. I've heard of this guy, he did Debrickershaw Ferguson's knee, right? Yes. Yeah, and Meta World Pieces too. Yeah, Thabo Cephalosha owes his whole career to this guy. And his real names. What's that, Amy? Your thoughts? I, I'm sorry, I just, I don't know why we treat these athletes like heroes just because they can skate fast or kick a ball in a net. I just think it's weird. No offense. I just think that sports are stupid and anyone who likes them is just like a lesser person and has a small intellect. Killer, I want you to write the piece. What? What? 
Oh, no, no, I, I literally can't stomach sports. Yeah, yeah, I know, your opposition is perfection. This really feels like a Bryson article. Yeah, this feels like a me article. I pitched it. Yeah, you pitched it. I'm giving it to Amy. What but do you I, say? You I can do attitude here. This isn't a fucking medical journal. I, I can do opposition. I can do sexy. I want that. I want that hatred. I'm giving it to Amy. Don't sulk at me. I'm not sulking. I'm... This is my decision. I'm sure. giving it to Amy. Fine. I can do sexy, though. Sorry? Huh? What? Nothing, I'm fine. I'm just having fun. <laughs> Nikki, I want you to research whether garlic makes semen taste any different. Oh, um, how am I supposed to... Thank you. Get the... You inspire me. Tastes the same. Amy. I'm not trying to punish you. Does it feel a little like I am? No, no, I appreciate the... Well, you know, I know you want to branch out, cover more, and you do know I'm looking for a new executive editor, don't you? I do know that, and I'm very, very interested. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be considered, uh, especially my dad's house like, isn't selling, and my sister and I just had to put him in this assisted living place, and you would think it was like the Waldorf. It's so expensive. Is this your one-woman show right now? Because I ain't got a ticket. <laughs> Trainwreck has tons of talented people in it. That last couple alone contained Amy Schumer, Tilda Swinton, Vanessa Bayer, Randall Park, John Glazer, and Ezra Miller. But the writing and directing rarely give the cast members a chance to actually shine. However, the three of us agreed that LeBron James and John Cena steal their scenes with surprisingly impressive performances. In our final clip, Amy admits to John Cena's character Steven that she's been seeing other men, and Steven gets a bit emotional. Here's that clip, and we'll see you on the other side for our discussion of Trainwreck. Steven, please! I am not in shape for this. Stop walking like the Hulk. I can see that you're mad. You are being crazy. Am I? Because I think you owe me an explanation for this. Do I have to worry about you with other guys? I'm so high right now. Can we just please talk about this tomorrow? I'm too fucked up. Amy, you're always fucked up. Answer the question. Are you hooking up with other guys? We never said we were exclusive. Fuck. Amy, exclusive? It's not high school. You know, every single guy I work out with, every single guy, says that all you're gonna do is mess with my emotions and hurt me. You guys talk about that at the gym? Fuck, Amy, do I have to worry about you with other guys? Yes, I hook up with other guys. I don't go to the movies with them. That's like our special thing. It's so fucking stupid. You know what the sad part is? I was gonna ask you to marry me. Really? I didn't even think you liked me very much. Why are you making me feel bad about this? You can sleep with other girls. It's like every guy's dream. It's not this guy's dream. Yeah, this guy's got a dream. And it's us. Making it. Getting married, moving out to the countryside, having a family, three boys and two more boys. Enough for a basketball team and I'll develop a CrossFit program and patent it, and I'll rule the CrossFit world with you by my side. You can be my CrossFit queen. That's my dream. Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to The Secret Cinema. We have a returning guest this week. Uh, the wonderful Jeff Cheney. Say what? Yeah. Welcome back, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff has graced us with his presence again. 
from the sunny city of Los Angeles. Los Angeles. <laughs> or the angels. The angels. <laughs> <laughs> right? But like it's actually, because things that I've learned is that it's actually called La Ciudad de Los Angeles. Oh, okay. The, like Angel the, City. The city of angels is like fish, the city of the angels. Well, whatever. Like I said but, earlier, when it falls in the ocean, let me know. Cool. We'll wow. do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna like send out a brief tweet about like, lol, we in the ocean now. A bunch of emojis and waves. <laughs> I want to get a text that's like you, uh, a picture of you floating. And then a... It says, we be swimming. Yeah, and time. then, like, a flamingo emoji. Uh, no, because I have, like, the... Uh, have one of those, like, waterproof phones now. So it'd be, like, oh. send, like, send, like, a photo of me, like, on a raft. And okay. just be, like, uh, I'll never let go. And then just me underwater, LOL, I let go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you're set. Well, right. so, uh, Jeff joined us to talk about the film Trainwreck. The and... Judd Apatow Tour de Force. <laughs> Some might call it that. <laughs> but uh, this is a little weird for us because this movie is, is no secret. It was pretty well recognized across the board. It got nominated for Golden Globe. Mm -hmm. Amy Schumer got nominated for Golden Globe. Yeah. So, Paolo, uh, why, did, why did we watch this movie? <laughs> well, the reason that we wanted to do this... Uh, even though it is a fairly well-known movie, um, and it's, it's it's a very new movie, it's the by far the most recent movie we've done. But I read a lot of the academic writing about this movie that came out, and uh, just like the mainstream articles, there's tons of think pieces about this movie, and I, none of those opinions really seem to reflect our experience when we watched it the first time, which was just frustrated bafflement like there's there's so much about this movie that doesn't work on just like a cinematic level and uh the screenplay there's so many problems and a lot of these think pieces get into interesting subtexts of the movie but none of them seem to do anything other than just accept that it's a good movie and then go from there and we really wanted to kind of dig past the surface level of this very, um, I mean, people saw it was a huge box office success, but I feel like people yeah, came the, to it. The budget was $35 million and it made $135 million. Yeah, so a huge success. $100 but I, million. But I feel like a lot of the people who saw it came to it with a very specific idea of what it was in their mind and then watched it based on that. And very few people even had a chance to have like a, really cold reading of it and just watch it as a movie and really judge it on that level. And so that's what I kind of want to do today. I want to really talk about this and we'll obviously give some, some context for parts of this too, but there's a lot of the stuff that frustrated us that's very much based on scene by scene problems yeah. or things like that. So, so you could say that the secret with this movie is that there's no criticism of it. Yeah. The secret <laughs> is our point of view. This, yeah. the, the secret that we're in, unveiling was perhaps the Illuminati. Is that what you guys are trying to suggest right now? Yeah, Jeff. There's some, there's some like secret conspiracy that this movie that we were just like told that this movie was good and universally believed it. Yeah. Somebody paid us to tell everyone that it was good. 
Well, they didn't pay you guys. They didn't pay us. (laughs) And that's why we talking (laughs) shit. And actually, Jeff, uh, what was your first opinion of this movie? I actually really liked it. I thought that it was charming and like, because like, I agree with a lot of the think pieces that like, this is a new, like it's a new subversion of the romantic comedy. Sure. Where like, instead of, and it is definitely a Judd Apatow movie. And that, like, there's a lot of, like, the uncomfortable mix of drama and comedy kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Which is really what all comedy is sort of moving towards, which is Yeah, you're weird. right. Like, and, like, that's a thing. Like, because that was a... Because I watched one of the new... Uh, it's not jokes on jokes on jokes anymore. Like, we're not just doing that. Like, we, we culturally have moved... Like, we want also to be, like, sort of punched in the feels while we're while we're ha- being told a joke for example you're the worst yeah that i love show, that show that show yeah. is great and it, it is rough hard Sometimes, to watch at points but it is so funny it's rewarding it and it's also an, rewarding it does an amazing job at blending the, the, the drama two, yeah. and the comedy sometimes the comedy comes out of just like the painful uh, recognition of the emotions that the characters yeah. are going through yeah and yeah, that like is Edgar's Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, how the, they like, how it's just like, it is just like a, a universally accepted fact, but also a thing that they're all a little bit annoyed by. Yeah. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we get it. You were in war. You didn't know it was a school. And they say, like, I didn't know it was a school. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to what you said about subverting the genre. And I want to propose something to you. Would this movie have subverted the genre if Amy Schumer's character was a man and Bill Hader's character was a woman? It wouldn't have. Well, I mean, like, it, I think that it's literally... So is the subversion just that the main character is a woman? Like, literally, yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, like, but honestly, like, that's a thing that, like, we don't see. We don't see, like, movies where women are allowed to be sexually liberated. Oh yeah. Sure. And not and not be just immediately slut shamed for it. Yeah. Like and I think that was the that was a big thing that a lot of the pieces that I read said and like that I agree with is that like she's just she is a, a modern woman who oh, yeah. fucks whoever well, she wants. Yeah. yeah, and let's be clear, that's not our criticism of no, this movie. Yeah. We all at least well, I guess I'll speak for myself. I totally respect what Amy Schumer has done for the comedic for realm. Women, well, for, like, women in comedy. Like. Yeah, women in comedy. She, I feel like she's brought a, a, a fresh face, and, and she's doing great things. That's not what we're talking yeah. about. We're and talking about this. We're talking about Trainwreck as a movie. Yeah, and I was like, really... This has, yeah, this does yeah. have nothing to do with Amy Schumer as a person. Yeah. Or as a comedic presence, because, yeah, she is... We're all... I, I guess yeah. I should say, I'm I, a fan. I was excited about this movie because I like her stand-up. I really like Inside Amy Schumer. And Inside Amy Schumer doesn't necessarily have, like, the tightest writing. Yeah. But it is really interesting and weird and fun. And uh, I, the thing that I guess... I guess to try to start segueing into the movie itself in a broad sense, uh, the show is very very self-deprecating and that's the thing i really love about amy schumer is this like fearless self-deprecation it's not like a gross out cheap thing where it's like i'm a woman so i have to like just say vagina a bunch to get laughs it's not like that stereotype of it it is like i don't really care i am i am a vehicle for comedy and so if i think of something and i am 
I know it's funny, I'm going to say it. Well, it's a lot like Molly Shannon in that yeah. way, because, like, she is a person who was literally willing to throw her throw her body at jokes. Yeah. yeah. Like, she... She's very she, physical. Like, she would, like, injure herself in the <laughs> recording of, like, the, <laughs> like, Mary Catherine Gallagher so, like, bits. Yeah. yeah, like, she would, like, throw herself into a thing of chairs. And Amy Schumer is a lot the same way where she's, like, just very fearless in terms of, like, yeah, I'm gonna hurt myself. Emotionally and physically, just for the sake of comedy. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the part of the thing with this movie is so Amy Schumer's character's name is Amy. And in the movie, she is a terrible person. Not in the sense that she's self deprecating, in the yeah. sense that she doesn't care about other people. She is very disrespectful. She's narcissistic. Like at the beginning of the movie, she's really a terrible person. And for me, I, that would have been fine, I think, if she had separated herself from her public persona of being Amy Schumer or being inside Amy Schumer and her character had even had just a different name. Yeah. Well, and that's a big thing with this is that this movie... Like, why was her name Amy This again? movie really tries to split the difference between riffing and being like hey we got tons of comedians here let's see what they can come up with and like trying to be a real movie with dramatic stakes and relationships that have ups and downs and stuff like yeah. that and riffing is al almost never works and it definitely does not work uh i'd say like 99 percent of the time here but the dramatic stuff is Definitely not what Amy Schumer writes. Amy no. Schumer, up to this point, there's nothing that in her career she's written that should prepare her for this. And um, she doesn't quite write scenes that are interesting or complex. But that's not entirely her fault because Judd Apatow also doesn't know how to present these scenes so that they're interesting or yeah. complex. Either. Well, the point that you brought up during the movie of why when... Paolo and I first watched the movie that we didn't particularly like it was that there's no subcontext or no subtext. Yeah. That's kind of a through line for all of Judd Apatow's movies. Well, and like a lot of it and the thing that like from, oh God, I'm going to get really like Hollywood right now. <laughs> Do it. Um, but like, cause I think, I think that the problem is that like a lot of the way that like Judd Apatow like makes his movies is that they do a lot of riffing. Yeah. And the problem that exists with riffing is just takes. And I mean, like, Paolo, you make movies, like, you're, if you're doing multiple takes of a thing, like, you can't riff on every take. No. Like, you, you'll riff in, like, the master, like, in the, the wide shot, like, establishing, like, take, and that is what you do. Like, that is just, like, that's the only time you're going to catch the good riffing. Yeah. Because it's, that's when it's fresh, and that's when, like, you're making shit up. And you can't you can't do it throughout because of continuity. Like you can't get that shot from other angles. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, and, and just to give an example of a scene of riffing in this movie, there is the the one that stuck out to me as like a perfect example of why riffing does not work is there's the scene where Amy goes to meet Aaron, Bill Hader's character, for the first time, and oh, I know she, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And she's about. they're talking about he talks about how he's a doctor for uh, athletes and she says oh I love sports and he asks her what teams does she like and she starts like doing the thing where it's like oh I she doesn't actually know any sports teams so she's trying to make up things that sound like sports teams and she lists 
five different fake sports teams. And it's one after the other, after the other, after the other. And even during this, Bill Hader, his character is saying, like, I, can't, Please I stop. get it. I understand. Stop. And it would be totally fine if he was like, what's your favorite sports team? And she went, uh... The Orlando Blooms, <laughs> because that like the first half of that sounds like she's gonna almost name something real, and then Blooms is the dead giveaway that it, she doesn't know sports teams, and he could be like, okay, so you don't know sports teams, yeah, moving on, and that's it. Yeah, well, and I, I I'm sorry, but I'm just gonna really hate on Judd Apatow because right. I just think he is like not a good director. I really think he doesn't know how to very succinctly tell a story, and. I think one of his key problems is that he doesn't understand less is more sometimes. Yeah. And so I can't even tell you how many of his movies I've sat through and I've been like, why isn't this scene over yet? Yeah, Judd Apatow movies are like, the, the best equivalent is something like Around the World in 80 Days, the original. Where, where it's, it's like three and a half hours long. It's three and a half hours long and every scene is just like, hey look, there's Buster Keaton. Hey look, that man who's playing the piano, it's Frank Sinatra. Or it's like, this is still a fucking shitty movie that I wish was over. But <laughs> you just cram it full of things and you're it, yeah it's very much if anything because of that it, judd apatow movies are the closest to like classic hollywood excess of just like people don't really care about the story they're here to see stars they want they go to the pictures to see stars the people are big it's the pictures that got small well it's yeah in the first way. 20 minutes we're introduced to colin quinn amy schumer tilda swinton john glazer randall park uh vanessa bear john cena bill Hader. Uh, LeBron James, like uh, Brie Larson, Ezra Miller, um, Mike Birbiglia, Mike Burbi uh, Dave Attell. It's like, geez, you know, just like <laughs> these are great people in the yeah. comedy world. Well, some of them. <laughs> I'm not gonna say John Cena is great in the comedy world. But like, he's like, like, he's no, great memes. Like, all, like, he's got great memes. <laughs> like, that, like, like that dude has recognized himself as a meme. Yeah, like he's a self-aware meme, and that is a perfect like yeah. symbiosis for the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If John Cena released a comedy, I would at least hope it was good. Because I read yeah. in the trivia that he, his girlfriend at the time, I don't know if they're still dating, but his girlfriend at the time, she didn't know that he was going to do the sex scene with Amy Schumer, and he didn't tell her ahead of time, and so he had to go on his girlfriend's reality TV show and apologize. <laughs> Who's his girlfriend? I don't know. Some reality girl, TV show. Some reality TV show star. Right. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Good for you, John Cena. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's so it's so crammed with that stuff, and then we get scenes that are just listless rambling. Or if it is plot stuff, it almost kind of like it's thrown together so forced and obviously. There's no like, there's so many scenes like in this the movie. scene, the scene where where she... they're packing up the house. Yes. That's exactly the scene I was going to talk about, where we meet Brie Larson for the first time, and it establishes that Brie Larson's her sister, she's married, she's a stepmom, and she loves her normal family life. Family life. Yeah. And Amy is disgusted by it. And then it, the scene goes on for eight more minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it covers a lot of stuff that is not setting up other like, things. It's yeah. mostly just like like slight backstory stuff, stuff that like that that, that they try to make as like sub. They try to force it as subtext. Yeah. I think is the thing that like also is frustrating. Is they're like 
we're making subtext because we're talking openly about yeah. this thing. You're like, no, but that's not what subtext is. No. So like, or like, they're like a lot of the resentment stuff like is very obvious yeah. and like very off the bat. She's like, you have a normal life. Fuck that. Yeah, and it's very, it's very much like somebody said. Well, we can't just assume that these sisters get along. We have to have a long scene that shows their relationship and it's well, like because we can't just rely on the performances to show right yeah well like also like we can't just have the two of them like not get along in one scene yeah. where like we have to show them disagreeing about everything yeah oh my god how I, can they be related to each other they disagree so much yeah. <laughs> i also feel like and maybe i'm overstepping on what i'm contributing to or attributing to uh, Judd Apatow, but I feel like he gets attached to, like, really minute, detailed jokes, and then he's like, well, I can't cut that out. It's so funny. Like, the, the joke where they are packing up, and they're talking about, um, the snow globes, oh, and yeah. they're talking to, and Amy, like, makes a joke that she, the dad didn't sleep with one of the teachers, but she tried to sleep with the teacher. And I feel like that's an Amy Schumer thing, if I'm honest, because like yeah, that kind of like, 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 like that level of joke, joke is okay. like a that was one that like I get it because yeah, that's the kind of like here we're gonna throw this joke in. This joke's gonna go a little bit too long. Okay, cool, and then it's done. <laughs> and actually, that joke, that joke muttered under her breath thing of like I tried to sleep with my teacher and he wouldn't even sleep with uh, like well, girl. yeah, well he didn't sleep with this male teacher. I mean, I tried to sleep yeah. with him. But it's that that sort of joke is so much closer to what Amy Schumer actually is good at and does, and I don't understand why the movie is not written. I mean, she wrote she wrote the movie. She wrote herself a starring vehicle, and it doesn't highlight any of the the things that define her as a comedian at all, which is edgy comedy or or feminism or feminism or very. Ugh. dark, self-deprecating comedy. Oh my god. Like, I mean, Amy Schumer is a person, I mean, there's a, there was a interview she yeah, did on the radio. Yeah, she dated Anthony Jeselnik, yeah. for God's sake. She didn't interview She has her. to have a dark side. <laughs> <laughs> she's done all sorts of interviews where she's told, like, super personal stories, just not even in the stand-up comedy format, just, like, she's so willing to tell these, like, very dark, personal things, or, like, go to, like, very weird places for comedy, uh, and then, like, okay, actually, and I looked up this joke, because I was trying to think of a joke from her her, her stand-up album, Cutting, which is the one that I know, and there's a joke where she says something along the lines of, I finally slept with my high school crush, but now he wants me to go to his high school graduation, and I'm like, how do I know where I'm going to be in three years? Like, that's like, (laughs) and that's a solid joke, and the closest we get, because it almost kind of makes its way into the movie, is her... Uh, in that scene with Ezra Miller where she goes home with him and they kind of make out but it's mostly just like a weird gropey scene and then she she punches him in the face yeah and that's like the closest we get to like like a joke where she's like oh, yeah I fucked a 14 year old boy it's cool <laughs> like like to like sh- I fucked a 16 year old what a train wreck I am I'm a horrible person I need to get my life together where it's like I don't really like Amy Schumer because of how she helps me get my life together. I like her because she's like willing to shock me with, uh, and not in just like an empty 
empty provocative way but in a way where she's playing with cultural symbols that we're all familiar with well and even like the feminist stuff in the yeah. movie is a little bit problematic because like in going back to her comedy in like the interviews that she's done there was an interview where she was talking about like growing up and her mom I, like this was like a story that she was telling where like her mom taught her and her sister like the word vagina very early and like it was always to refer to your vagina as a vagina mm -hmm. because if you are molested you should be able to say that he touched your vagina like kind of a like just reality of existence yeah. like you should not be ashamed of your body yeah. like kind of a thing that like is realistically like heartbreaking that that's not culturally normal yeah, yeah. um but, like, it's just things that, like, in that movie, like, she just kind of glazes over her feminist principles. Yeah, like, the uh, the thing that really drives me crazy is when she goes to watch the cheerleaders with Bill Hader, and she's, like, slut-shaming them and then telling them that they are to blame for women losing the right to vote. And I can't tell if it's a joke or if it's, like, her riffing or, or being sarcastic or satirical or what but like the other part of that is that like at the end of the movie she ends up doing the thing with them like she ends up like subjecting herself to the same thing that she considered yeah. degrading before like that's also like symbolically she, yeah. very degrades herself the only way she can truly yeah. prove her love is yeah there's that's another thing with judd apatow directing this is this movie isn't the most complicated thing in the world, but at very least it needed a point of view yeah. pushed on it. And Judd Apatow's style is to like set up a camera and let it roll, and then set up the camera somewhere else and let it roll. I was thinking like the very first opening scene where Colin Quinn is talking to the, the two, the two yeah. Amy and uh, Brie Larson when they're little kids, and there's literally, the scene is about three minutes long, and there's three setups. There's three camera setups, and it just rotates between all of them. And that's one is just of Colin Quinn by himself with a garage behind him, and then there's one with the two little girls sitting on the hood of a car with like a, a road behind them. And then there's a wide shot with all of them. The wide shot maybe appears... The two uh, singles and a wide. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's exactly that. And it's just like... And it's a scene where it's like... It's the introduction to the whole movie. And the scene isn't well written. It's a very rambling scene about it's, like it is a colin quinn like it yeah. is honestly like a, a colin quinn joke yeah like he, it is a colin quinn stand-up routine to two children yeah. yeah like that is what that scene <laughs> is he, yeah, yeah and he's the only reason that scene works well and but they don't even he doesn't even it's not even directed in a way that like plays up where the kids are like doing the kids are literally in that scene to be the audience of his bit they don't serve any other function it's like you later know that they grow up to be cynical well one of them grows up to be cynical about relationships and the other one and grows up to be just reactive to that like reacts yeah. negatively to the stimulus basically yeah yeah to but the what is it the monogamy isn't realistic yeah that's yeah. the mantra if they're gonna be that lazy they could have just as easily just had a close-up of colin quinn's face being like uh, just pointing into the camera and saying this stuff, and then like cut to Amy Schumer. Not every that. movie can be Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like we can't all just have Christopher Walken talking into the camera. Yeah. yeah, and another thing about this movie that felt really disjointed was the fact that Amy did voiceover randomly. Yeah, I don't. I wrote that down too. It just the voice. It, it, it kind of starts at the beginning and then it cuts out, 
And I feel like there's a little bit at the end and then nothing. No, there is a little bit in like the middle. Because like, yeah. they do the whole like romantic oh, yeah. montage that she does the yeah. voiceover over. Yeah, she is, says, I hope this, this montage ends like Jonestown. And I think that's literally the last line of narration in the whole movie. And it has, it's like, it's, she, that line happens and there's like another 45 minutes of the movie <laughs> with no narration. Considering this is a Judd Apatow movie, it's pretty impressive that it's only two hours. Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's what 40-Year-Old Virgin is, and that's, I think, Knocked Up is maybe, like, a little bit longer than that. Uh, funny People is two and a half hours. And, okay, actually, since I brought up Funny Super People... Superbad is pretty long. Superbad's less than two hours, but he also did not direct it. Oh, he didn't? No. Uh, but I wanted to bring this that up... That was Seth and Nevin did that one. Uh, yeah, it's directed by Greg Matola, who is actually a pretty decent director. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I like Superbad. Yeah, but um, the thing, the thing that another thing that drives me crazy is just and I, I don't know. I, I guess I can't even say why, but Judd Apatow has taken to hiring uh, incredible cinematographers for these movies. And Funny People made me think of this because Funny People's cinematographer is Yanis Kaminsky who is the cinematographer for Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) Uh, Basically, yeah. Uh, Spielberg's Spielberg's cinematographer. An Oscar winner. A a European cinematographer. And uh, and they're like, okay, let's get him to be the cinematographer for this long, rambling Adam Sandler (laughs) movie directed by Adam Sandler's friend. But he has so much money that he can do that. And on this one... The cinematographer is Jody Lee Lipes, who is most, is he's still kind of an up-and-comer, but he was the cinematographer for Lena Dunham's Tiny Furniture, which actually looks really good considering it's shot on Canon 5D, but he's also the cinematographer for Martha Marcy May Marlene, which... Looks great. Uh, it looks great. As far as I remember, so that's the best of, part of the movie is how it looks. That is, that is a gorgeously terrifying yeah. movie. Yeah. Just some, I just remember shots of, like, uh, Elizabeth oh. Olsen swimming and the way the film grain or when looks. they're the end when they're in the car yeah, oh. yeah. yeah. So the, end that, that end of that movie is literally one of my favorite endings it's a movie. really yeah. yeah it's a really stressful ending yeah. and yeah. they're like and, and this this cinematographer has been hired to shoot a movie where it's like all right we have Colin Quinn's in front of a garage and there's two girls sitting in a car and there's a wide shot and then like the the whole thing with the dog walker a movie within a movie that looks nothing like any movie that exists <laughs> especially because they have the budget to hire a professional cinematographer and they have the budget to hire for their fake movie Daniel Radcliffe and Marissa Tomei yeah. and they couldn't just go through a little bit of effort to make it look a little bit like a real movie. It just that's I know that's like a really movie nerd thing, but it just I, I like it jumped out at me from the beginning that no real movie would be like the Dog Walker. Yeah, you pointed that out during the during the movie. Yeah, I do have to say I love the idea of seeing Daniel Radcliffe walking a bunch of dogs though. Yeah. However, like my my response to that is the same as like when you watch cartoons. Which I'm assuming that the audience watches cartoons like <laughs> we do, um, but like it's I, I think like, that's safe to assume. It's safe to assume that people watch cartoons, but um, like when you watch a cartoon that has cartoons within the cartoon, or like where you have like animation where the and like the animated characters are drawing, like and if, like, uh, like on The Simpsons when they watch Itchy and Scratchy, yeah. Yeah, and, like, that kind of thing. Or, yeah, it's where you have characters who are watching animation. And animation is a little bit worse than what it is. And then the animation that is reality. 
you know? And I think that that's kind of the, that was the dog walker for me, is that, like, yeah. you are you are intentionally stepping a little bit further out of reality yeah, but it's, because it's, you need to... To me, it's like, it's like the this movie's equivalent of, like, Terrence and Philip in South Park, where it's, yeah. like, the shittiest possible stand-in for what a romantic comedy is to, like, so, that just, it's in there, so be like, yeah, and peep, someone in this movie is watching an even worse movie that looks, and like, the production value is even lower. By comparison, yeah. we're doing such a good Good job. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's talk about romantic comedies. Please. Romantic comedies. Um yeah, this movie is clearly was pitched and was advertised and talked up as a, a response to romantic comedies, a critique of romantic comedies, or like what a romantic comedy would be with like real people. And that I guess that's where a lot of the other problems come in terms of uh just what makes this movie so difficult to swallow is the way in which subversion of a romantic comedy plays out here. It's not really a, it's yeah, like you said before, if it it's was not very romantic. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's there's so many scenes. Okay, I guess I, I should just pick a specific example. We were talking during the movie about the scene where Amy and Aaron are arguing. Where after he wins this award and she's not there, they go home and they argue. And they do this scene, and it's not like a scene where she's yelling, she's like talking and he's sitting and listening. And it's not recorded. The, I I would like to, to give more context to it, like the establishment for the scene is that uh, they have the, they have a little bit of a fight. And she's like, cool, I'm going to leave so that this can blow over. Yeah. And then he says, we shouldn't go to bed angry because that's what my parents do because I'm from the Midwest. Yuck. Like, kind of a, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, but that's that's the total vibe of it. And then, like, they, she's like, okay, here are all of my problems. And then he doesn't get any sleep. And then that causes more problems for him professionally. Yeah. And so, yeah. what is, is the subvert... Okay, so, presumably, this is... And that's so interesting to watch. Right, it's, Jeff? It's so late into the movie... <laughs> don't really okay the argument itself doesn't really uh matter because the movie doesn't make it matter it's mixed and it's even mixed in a way where yeah bill Hader falls asleep during the scene yeah it doesn't matter what she's complaining about doesn't matter to the movie we're not expected to know it or to him like and that's other things that like he's not he's not interested in what she has to say and like that's that's the entire reason for the scene is that he's like, well, we need to like talk about our feelings. And then he's like, oh, when it comes feelings, down to it, yeah. I don't really, like, I'm not interested enough in all of your feelings. Even at that point in the movie, she's still a terrible person. But really, though, with that scene, our, again, because we have no point of view to enter into the scene with, are we supposed to sympathize with both of them? Neither of them? One over the other? I mean, both of the characters end up having scenes at the end of the movie where someone has to be like, listen, this is what you need to do. But if the whole point of subverting the romantic comedy is that both of them are bad and both of them need to be like... I I, I don't know. I don't really know what how it... it, it like I, I don't think it actually does subvert anything. I don't. I think it just thought no. it was doing that, and then when they finished editing the movie, they had something very close the, to a romantic, uh, just a normal romantic. I comedy. think the only and key subversion of the romantic comedy is that Amy's character is sexually active. Yeah, I think that is the only thing because otherwise, 
There are so many romantic comedy tropes in this movie. So there's the, she's scared of committing. She's scared of falling in love. She gets into a fight and then thinks that their relationship is over. She wins him back with a romantic gesture. She works at a fucking magazine. Yeah. Like, she lives in New York City. She wears really professional blazers and skimpy dresses. Like, all of that is a Kate Hudson movie. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that movie. It's called Ten How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. There are there are <laughs> two movies that I would compare Trainwreck to that I think actually do the job better. What of are they? subverting the romantic comedy. Oh, man, I can't wait. All right. Number one is They Came Together. Yeah. Yes. By David Wayne. Um, that movie is amazing. And there's even jokes in uh, They Came Together that are like seemingly predicting train wreck jokes and yeah. scenes. Uh, yeah. um, the other one is uh, He's Just Not That Into You. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I have seen that. I don't really remember it though. It's not, like, it is more in like... Is, it's, Cam it's, is Cameron Diaz in that? Is that my, my girl Cameron in that movie? <laughs> is he a girl Cameron? Um, She's I don't, my girl. I don't... I, she might be. Now that I'm, like, thinking back to it, I do not really know who... No, I don't think she's in that. I think she's in that, um, that terrible pregnancy What book. to expect when you're expecting. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, when you said he's just not that into you, I thought, uh, what to expect no, when you're expecting. No, Scarlett Johansson is in that, and, yeah. like, Jennifer Goldwyn. Okay, yeah, Goodwin yeah. Jennifer Goldwyn and, uh, Katie Holmes. Yeah, that sounds like right. One. But, like, it's, again, just, like, it's a very, that one's a very good example of, like, subverting the romantic comedy where, like, you have these people who are in these, like, very, like, romantic, like, rom-com situations, and then there are people who are, like, this is stupid. People don't do this. This isn't how people behave. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, and that's shit, that whole book, though. Yeah, and, like, shit doesn't work out. And, like, that's the other part of it that's really, like, kind of new and different is that, like, there are relationships in that they're like, oh, they should get together at the end of it. And they're like, we can't work out. We can't work this out. Yeah. Sometimes that's how it, it goes. Just, like, sometimes and it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I mean, really, if we're going to talk about, like, the subversion of the romantic comedy, My Fair Lady has a more avant-garde approach to the romantic comedy than this does. <laughs> where, like, at the end of uh, My Fair easy. Lady, it's no. two awful, unlikable leads can't even admit by the end of a movie that they care for each other. They still have to, like, hide it and be like, oh, yes, I don't respect you at all, but I absolutely need you. Or <laughs> like, one of my favorite subversions of the romantic comedy genre, which is Eternal Sunshine, where the two characters have already fallen in love with each other, but they erased their memories and then decided to fall in love with each other like again. they Like, they fell out of love to the point where they're like, I can't even remember that yeah. this happened. <laughs> And like, yeah, let's do it again. Now that we know that, like, yeah, I erased you because this was so bad. Ugh. But, like, let's do it again, maybe. It's so good. It's a good movie. Yeah. And then, like, the end of that, the end of the, the final scene of that movie also is that, like, they keep doing it. They keep going. Like, yeah. they show that it's a good movie. So I guess what we're saying is that subverting the romantic comedy is a thing that has been happening for so long that it should be way easier to do than Trainwreck makes it yeah. seem like. Because Trainwreck does not really succeed at all on that front. Well, yeah, and the first scene that we see with grown-up Amy, like, in the first five minutes, she's having sex with a guy and she, she riffs uh, about how big his dick is for, like, three minutes. It's really, like... 
15 seconds. It's pretty short, but it's still uh, like... It felt like, like three minutes. It does feel like it's forever. The thing like, that struck oh, this me... this is how you're going to start this movie? Well, and the thing that struck oh. me, and this is like really nitpicking, but it's... This is a tendency for the whole movie, is that she starts that scene when she's doing those riffs, she riffs drunk. She riffs like... Uh, you look like the whole cast of Game of Thrones. Where does your dick end? Where's your dick end? And then as soon as she's like needs him to go down on her, she's like sober. She's like completely sober and is like, no, you do this. Yeah, this is what I want. And it's like the scene where it's the the I don't. It just as they don't even get through the whole scene before the continuity, the emotional and character continuity falls apart. And I obviously don't think any of the jokes in that scene are funny, but. It could at least be a fine scene if, I don't know, if, I like, say, just they played that whole scene like, oh, yeah, the, I, I, that's me. I got really drunk and had sex with that guy, but whatever. That's what I do. I, I like doing that. And it's like, that should be fine. Like, there's no, especially if this is a feminist movie, we don't need it to be like, but I'm secretly, like, super smart. <laughs> I, I wish, <laughs> I wish that scene, that scene would have been so much funnier if she hadn't done any of the... Joe, the riffing about how big that guy's dick was, and instead it had just started with her being like, I need you to get me started, and he had to go down on her, and she pretends to fall asleep. That would have been like a great place to start. That would have Instead, yeah. we have well, to. Well, I also to her. like, I actually also like the beginning scene where she's like, Oh, I've never done this before, and it's yeah. the most like rehearsed, yeah, like no, line okay. delivery is really like, I thought that was really funny. We were yeah, like, that is Oh good. no, I've never done this before. And she's like undressing. She's like, oh, I'm so shy. And they're like, uh, she's like, okay, cool. I'm yeah. just going to lay in this bed. But like follow that up with her asking the guy to go down on her and then she immediately falls asleep. That would have been fucking hilarious. Yeah, would have been great. Just the Game of Thrones bit was a little bit like it's... also will not be applicable in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Like will wait not a, hold up. Wait a day You look like the whole movie. cast of Lost. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, and, and um, that's, I think that's another reason that this movie doesn't really work is going back to Judd Apatow and his inability to edit down. A lot of the scenes that are like very specific Amy Schumer women centric scenes, like for example, the scene where her and Vanessa Bayer go to the bathroom. Yeah. Why does it take them that long to go to the bathroom? They aren't even peeing during that scene where they're talking in the bathroom. They're just sitting on the toilets. Girls don't do that. This is crazy, but I honestly thought during that scene, that scene would have been better if one of them had like been loudly taking a shit. Yeah! Because it would have been way more believable <laughs> if one of them was loudly or, taking or a Or if shit. Like, one of them was taking a shit and the other was standing outside the stall. Yeah. Like, women don't wait in the stall to finish a conversation. That's not a thing that we do. I mean, I'm sorry I'm generalizing all women right now, but pretty sure I can speak for most women in saying that I don't wait in the bathroom to finish a conversation with a friend if I'm having a conversation while we pee. Also, I'm like, oh, I can still have this conversation while I wash my hands. <gasps> what a crazy concept. Oh my god, you can do more than one thing <laughs> at a time? Also, The only thing I can't do is blow my hands dry 
while my friend's talking because I won't be able to hear her. Also, so that's when you get a paper towel. The audio is the audio off. is gonna be shit if you've got that paper towel <laughs> machine. If you got like the like hair dryer machine going, no. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like, but like just your like, sound guy's gonna be that's, fucking. That's pissed. like one example. Yeah. And then there's like an there's like eight examples where her and Brie Larson are talking, and it's like no sisters don't talk to each other like this. Like ah. Yeah. Well, no. and it's I was you talking about Vanessa Bayer's character. I thought of our our old game that we haven't played in a while which is name character traits and for the most part you could say people do have character traits in this but Vanessa Bayer is a perfect example of a character who has a ton of scenes in this movie and somehow has no character traits other than being like apologetic yeah apologetic and nervous vaguely and then smiling and God, that's like one of the friend. only jokes that lands is the one that you pointed out, Jeff. The the I'm smiling because I'm nervous. Like, or I can't stop. Smiling. I'm not. Smiling. Like I I know this is just the face I make when I'm nervous. Yeah. <laughs> and like they just like they and they but again like to go back to your point like they riff on that scene for so long yeah. and like Tilda Swinton is like is great. Also like let's let's give it a round of applause for Tilda Swinton in this yeah. movie. Uh, always. Because, like, she's not playing an androgynous character for the first time. I read in the trivia that she... So, in the screenplay, Amy Schumer wrote a Tilda Swinton type as the boss. And so, Judd Apatow called Tilda Swinton and was like, Hey, do you want this? And she was like, Yeah, sure! And so, that's how she got involved. And then, because she got involved, she took complete creative control about how her character looked and talked. That's awesome. So, <laughs> Tilda Swinton's character is entirely her creation in the movie. That makes sense. <laughs> and and she she works as, like, the Devil Wears Prada type boss. Well, and, like, it's... Which, uh, unfortunately, I've seen before in many romantic comedies. <laughs> Not that Tilda Swinton doesn't nail it, because she does, because oh. she's Tilda Swinton. Has, but... Name me one thing if... Dear the commenters or people who want, who listen to this podcast, if you can name me a thing that Tilda Swinton has done wrong in her career, uh, I don't know. Some I'll people give you are a pat on the back. Some people are pretty. If mad you say about Constantine, I'll be so mad. Some she be- was the best part of that movie. <laughs> Some people are pretty mad about her playing that Asian man's role in the Doctor Strange uh, movie. I don't Is blame. That the one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't blame her for that. Yeah. I blame I blame Marvel and Kevin Feige almost as exclusively. you should. Kevin Feige is a monster, and he needs to be stopped. Oh yeah, and she's played she's played multiple genders before. And I, I don't did, really like it's not a, it's, a weird, it's not out of her depth. It's yeah. Her, yeah, yeah. And I did like seeing her with. We need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, Ezra Miller, mother and and son reunited. <laughs> reunited. Reunited. <laughs> uh, I. Do also like now that we're just like randomly shouting up people. I feel like we're getting off topic a little bit. But, like <laughs> since we're since we're talking about like because also like we'll the cameos. Back. Well, like the cameos in this movie are also a thing that are like that need to always like be mentioned. Yeah. Like because the people that they get for this movie are out of the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're like like Mike Birbiglia as uh, Brie Larson's husband. Yeah. <laughs> Who also, like, has a child from a previous marriage. Like, is a thing that is, like, not super... Do you think they gave him a child from a previous marriage because he's so much older than Brie Larson? Do you think that's, like, the justification for casting him? Probably, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think that's exclusively it, but I think that yeah. it's... That probably probably has something to do with it. Yeah, or is it some sort of, like, maybe not autobiographical detail, but just something where it was written... 
and no one was like, well, let's just clean this up because it's just going to waste time. And they were just like, no, yeah, we we're already doing everything else. So yeah, throw this in. Let's, let's not, we once, and they, once you have one scene with it, you can't like abandon it later. So you gotta keep bringing that kid in and he's got to show her the Minecraft maps so that they can do the whole. But, also Minecraft. Yeah. Minecraft. <laughs> we're hip. <laughs> Minecraft, Game of Thrones. We're um, doing it. We're, we're living 2015. Yeah. A Downton Abbey is already dated. Yeah, yeah that show doesn't yeah, exist God. anymore. That's right. LeBron James talks about watching Downton Abbey in this movie. It would be like a Breaking Bad joke. You're like, oh, like I really want to watch the latest episode of Breaking Bad. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's not real anymore. <laughs> Do you think in the future they'll make movies where like a character is like, I can't wait to watch and they like hold something in front of their mouth and then just like <laughs> dump in what the current thing is for that edit of the That movie. would be pretty smart. I mean, that's, that is... I'm going to local sports team game tonight. How about you? <laughs> I feel like that would be a thing that the... I don't know. I feel like Scott Ackerman would do that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be if Scott Ackerman, like, wrote a script for, like, a comic, or, like, literally any blockbuster thing. be like, <laughs> local sports team. I really want to go see the sports team game. <laughs> How do you feel about presidential candidates? <laughs> I would oh, really man. like for popular candidate to win. <laughs> Unpopular candidate. Not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, guys. You had your fun. Alright. Back on track. Back on track. Also, we should talk about how Method Man is in this movie for a hot second. And he's randomly Jamaican in the movie. Yeah, weird choice. Super weird choice. Uh, I love Method Man. Everybody watch The Wire. Yeah. You should. You should. Yeah. I know. I know that we're a bunch of white people who are saying that you should watch The Wire, and but that's trust us. But like, also, right? Great. We gotta get back on topic. Um, back on topic. Um, I think that oh, like I thought of another thing that that I'm pretty sure I can. Again, I can speak for most women. Um, but that scene where Amy's talking to her sister and she's like, "But what if?" He sees a tampon in the toilet. It's like, you know what? Girls don't care about that. You know how, <laughs> you know, by the time you're in a, usually in a serious relationship, you've been throwing tampons in a toilet for 10 years. <laughs> so why would Hopefully. you give a shit if somebody sees one in the, like, sorry. It's like if you see a turd in the toilet, you're like, you know what? Everybody does Also, it. again, like it just, I mean, this, my, I can understand this neuroses, but it's one that if you relate to it, Stop and think for a moment. Do you really want to be in a relationship with the type of person who would hate you for yes. a body process that you have no control over and you have to deal with? Oh. Like, if he was like, listen, we I, this relationship's going great, but I saw your blood and uh, we gotta talk. <laughs> <laughs> Preach, brother. <laughs> I'm a boy I, and I'm like, afraid of blood. I, and... I, I, I am uncomfortable with the fact that you have a thing that happens literally every yeah. month of your life. Even though we live together and you let me have sex with you, and you the know... thing that indicates that you don't have a baby, <laughs> I hate it. Like that's the worst. <laughs> Gross. Ugh. I'd rather you were Ugh. pregnant. <laughs> that I don't have to deal with this. <laughs> I don't have to think about it. Yeah, Jesus. 
Um, I think that, like, and this is a point that I brought up in watching it that I hadn't thought of the first time, is, like, and also probably just watching with you guys, because you guys, like, <laughs> I, like, I'm not going to say that you guys, like, shout on the movie like, every time, but, like, like no, the, one, one of the best parts about watching this movie with you guys is that every time, like, a scene, like, every time, like, a dramatic scene, like, a sort of dramatic scene happened, Carrie would be like... Wow, this is so funny. What a great comedic scene this is. I, I think I said that, like, right after the funeral like, scene. Yeah. It was in the middle of the funeral <laughs> scene. Like, she was giving a eulogy for her dad, She's and you were like, was so funny. Well, because people at the funeral were laughing, but we weren't, so come on. That's true. That's, um, but, that's, like, I think that, like, like the thing that, that I pointed out while we were watching it, but is that, like, all of the scenes are kind of structured in a way that is for the most people. Like, and yeah. we kind of talked about that. It was, like, these scenes are all, in a like, structured in a way it's like, oh, how can we appeal to the broadest demographic? And, Paolo, you were saying that, like, they have, like, the New York joke. Yeah. <laughs> and all of them, we were like, here's how New York people are going to love it. And the Cleveland jokes. Oh god, fucking Cleveland! Yeah. Well, it's, Let's it's, just eat Cleveland's dick. And I mean, I, and it's, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a, it's a given that the sports stuff is in that movie because women are gonna drag their boyfriends to this movie, and so so we might as well have some sports so that stars. it's they trick them into liking it. Which again, oh, no. who's Amari Stoudemire? <laughs> like again, uh, again, ladies, is, if you can't, know. if you can't get, if you can't get your boyfriend to go to a movie without trickery, without, like, millions of dollars of, like, ad campaign trickery to get him to go, uh, date someone better or just give up on movies. <laughs> like, don't do that thing together. Those are your two <laughs> options. Like, watch horror movies. Like, just do that thing and just do that thing forever. Yeah. You got nothing else. Yeah, at least horror movies, they really pander to both genders. Yeah. Oh, not pander. I guess pander's not the word to use. They are, uh... But don't they pander? Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that argument. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, like... All right, fair enough. There's a lot of, like, the, like, the strong dude yeah. who yeah. gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and the dainty like, girl! Oh, no! Help me! Yeah, you're I'm right. I'm a damsel of distress. <laughs> oh, no! five of us, and I'm the last one, and I'm a girl! Literally the plot of Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> Your guys' damsel of distress voices are really good. Oh, my God! Like, it's, it's I practice that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do. We need to write, like, an animated movie where you guys practice <laughs> Oh, no! You guys are the two main characters. And you're all the men. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> I'm already sold. I'm I, here to serve you. Please. Uh, is this? <laughs> I'd watch I'm sorry, are Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in this room? Because this is Project Greenlit. <laughs> oh man, he got me to snort. Oh, so um, but no, I also like. I I do want to like as a as a positive for this movie that I don't. It's not really a positive, but like I. As a non-sports person, know the names of sports people. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like... You learned I, something. I learned something. Amari Stoudemire. <laughs> I said his name before. Don't know who he is. What if, team does he play for, Take him out Jeff? of a lot. Like, <laughs> I feel like the Mets. <laughs> the Orlando <No>. Blooms. <laughs> the Orlando Blooms. <laughs> the Mets are a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> nope. 
the Knicks? Yeah, I think that's right. The Knicks is a that's a team. I don't know. I think you're right. What's the team that Jay Z owns? Jay Z owns a team. Yo, you don't know that. What? I just feel like I'm disappointed that you don't know everything about Jay Z's life. I mean, I kind of fell off the Jay Z bandwagon of knowledge a long time ago. Cool, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, you live in the murder capital where people murder for capital. So you don't really need to, <laughs> you don't need to keep up with it. Yeah, I know old Jay Z's roots. That's true. I did fall off after Watch the Throne. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's where I was like, oh, you're both way too rich yeah. to understand how people This live. album is about how rich you are. Okay, I got it. It's even a gold cover on that album. Oh. Yeah, and they sample Try a Little Tenderness, which is like... Just because of how expensive it was. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, but yeah, on the sports thing, we talked about this a lot during the movie, and it's, it's definitely held true for both viewings, which is... John Cena and LeBron James are by far the highlights of this movie. Yeah. It, their jokes don't necessarily land or work, but the two of them... They're so earnest. They're so earnest. They're so charismatic. And you can tell John Cena has that wrestler's ability to just be on. Like, he is an actor. He just hasn't been thought of as an actor for very long. But yeah. And he also has that, like, hilarious Arnold Schwarzenegger body where he doesn't look like a real human being ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you see him naked, and I just, like, want well, like, laugh the, at how well, crazy his body yeah, is. Yeah, the, the sex scene is the most, like, ludicrous thing because you're just watching this, like, bag of muscles <laughs> yeah. on top of Amy Schumer. And the scene, again, yeah, it doesn't work, but you're like, man, he's really trying. This is, like, a lot to ask an athlete to do a sex scene in, like, their first... I, I found out that to practice that scene, he had to, they had to use a male stunt double. For Amy Schumer? No. Oh, yeah, for, for Amy Schumer. So he had to practice that scene with a male stunt double. Oh, yeah, that's fucking <laughs> hilarious. I know. That's funnier than the sex scene. That's way funnier. I would love to see that movie. scene in a movie. Yeah. Like, all right. That would have been subverting the romantic comedy genre. Yeah. Right. But in uh, LeBron James, his like he has that runner, and it's like kind of funny, and then they stretch it so far past its breaking point. But the running joke of, he's cheap. He's, like, super rich, but he's still super cheap and tight with his money. And it doesn't really work, but he plays... He plays Bill Hader's friend so well while doing that, that he is he's just believable. He's believable as like this doctor's friend who happens to be a famous basketball player who just is like sitting having lunch with him or talking with him about his like girl problems and stuff. And it never plays like like the joke is that LeBron James is there. And there's sometimes no, where it yeah. clearly is the joke, but LeBron James legitimately does a good job and has good acting ability. Like you, you Jeff, you, you compared him to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and yeah, based on his performances, I would love to see him in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar type cameos and bit parts in the future. Well, yeah, because like that was, yeah, the comparison that I made was Airplane because like it's a movie where again, you're referencing the fact like you are a professional actor yeah. Yeah. who for all intents and purposes does not belong in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like you're here and you're doing a real, like a surprisingly great job at this thing that nobody expected you to do. Mm-hmm. I also want to give some credit to Bill Hader. Yeah. You know, I I felt like his performance was pretty muted. Like he he can get real wacky and crazy and I felt like he really 
honed it. He dialed it back. Yeah. He dialed it back, and it, it was. I wouldn't say that he was boring as much as he was kind of like vanilla. He had, it was the straight man. Yeah. yeah he, he really was, had to be the straight man. He for was movie. the straight man for the movie, but he there were some really subtle parts in the oh, movie yeah. where he had just like great facial expressions, yeah. or he delivered a line really well, or he played like he plays off LeBron James really, really. Well. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, I think you were just unintentionally referencing the exact Bill Hader thing I was thinking of, which is right when he basically knows that Amy Schumer is going to have sex with him for the first time, and they go back to his apartment, and he plays that scene with this like wonderful combination of like stress and nervousness, and like like which is not the automatic for that scene. Like no actors go to for like, all right, this is a scene where you're gonna have sex with this woman that you've been dating, where you'd be like, oh, I didn't expect this, and I'm gonna be kind of nervous, but it's still it's still gonna happen. It's it's not really overly written in the dialogue, but it's probably the best acted scene in the whole movie and it's the most emotionally honest thing that happens yeah. in the whole movie. Yeah. It's just that little, little tiny bit of like almost entirely facial acting on Bill Hader's part. Yeah, I yeah. actually wasn't thinking of that scene but oh, okay. but uh, I was actually thinking of the end in the uh, worst possible ending for a movie ever. <laughs> but when he sees Amy Schumer, and he's not even saying anything, but his face is like communicating all of the thoughts that are going through his mind as he's watching what she's doing. Which like that, I've been on sets where like that is the scene that you're like filming. Those are really rough because basically what it is is the director's like, here's what you're feeling. Feel this thing. All right. And now she's now, and quiet now, on the set. All right. You're so proud of her. All right, all right. So give me that you're proud of her, but also like you're you're in love with her, and also this thing, and like they're just like yelling out like, "Dance, monkey, dance!" Kind of like direction. You're like, oh, how do I feel is, all those things all is, at once? This is dehumanizing a little <laughs> bit, and like he's a person who can do that because just he's he's so. Talented. I I think Bill Hader is so smart. I think he's really underrated, and I don't think I really think he should be like a leading man. I think he should be the Steve Martin of our generation, and he's just not... Just give him a banjo. Yeah, or just like... But he keeps doing... I mean, I'm not going to knock this, because I... Kudos, but he's doing a lot of, like, indie movies, and he's doing the Documentary Now series. I want to see him do, like, a, a, a comedy I mean, Skeleton yeah. Twins was really I want to yeah. see, like, him... I want to see Alexander Payne write a movie where Bill Hader's the Yeah, like, like, Will Forte did Will Forte in Nebraska. Like, that's exactly the type of role that Bill Hader could knock out of the park. Yeah. Like, easy. Like, yeah. I'm not going to challenge. I'm 100% on board with that. Yeah, yeah. I want to see Bill Hader in more stuff. Yeah. He's yes. so talented. Yes. And he fucking writes for South Park. Like, he's obviously <laughs> hilarious. He is. And he's, he's a one weirdo. Of super fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, I do want to get back to a point that, like, we brought up in the, in watching it, and I think I said it, um, but, like, uh, the question of are romantic gestures romantic? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, are the grand romantic gestures actually, like, if that happened in real life, like, that's the, because, like, it's the big thing in most romantic comedies is there's, like, the say anything, like... The radio over the head. Yeah. yeah. But, like, if somebody did that in real life, if somebody stood outside your house with a radio, 
how yeah. romantic and like said nothing like there is especially no... a person you just broke up with yeah and like and who says like he says because like john cusack in that movie says nothing yeah. like there are no he words. doesn't have to say anything because peter gabriel saying it for him i mean that's true <laughs> like if you say no to peter gabriel you're saying no to love that's yeah a concept um, but, like, it, like, it, like Amy Schumer in this scene, like, where she's, like, doing the whole, like, dancing and stuff like that, she's also, like, not saying words. Like, there's no, there's no verbal communication. Yeah. Because it's all beyond well, it's language physical. kind of a thing. And, like, that's, that's so weird. Like, just conceptually, like, and I get the, like, oh, it's a little bit romantic because you don't have to say that you love them. But, like, also, no. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. like, that's. I think. For me, personally, real romantic gestures are thoughtful and personal and not shared in public. Like, they're not for anyone else. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, to each his own. Everybody can do their own thing. But I've never really understood, like, public proposals or, like, you know, videotaping a a proposal or... You know, I want every public proposal, like every like sports team, like like at a sports stadium proposal. I want them all to crash and burn. Yeah, like that's the secret <laughs> wish in my heart. At every one of those, like You're the such like, a cynic well, like the, well, like they're like all those like jumbotron like proposal kind yeah. of things. Yeah. Like, I want them all to end terribly, and yeah. it's not like cynically, but like just I guess comedy, yeah. which is also cynicism. <laughs> well, but like, I, it's just it's more it's more interesting if yeah. it goes badly. Well, and I will say I have seen public romantic gestures that I think are really romantic. Like Paolo and I went to a Sharon Jones concert, mm-hmm. and a guy had arranged ahead of time with Sharon Jones to be brought up on stage with like a couple other people randomly Mm -hmm. and she talked to him and he was like yeah actually I met my girlfriend at your concert a couple years ago and Sharon's like oh well why don't you bring her on stage and then he ended up proposing and it it come to find out like you know it had all been prearranged but it was just like this it seemed very organic and it and like it was just an atmosphere where everybody was totally on board with it happening. But like at a sports game, you know, there's you are cutting, you are just like changing the narrative of the evening. For yeah, everybody. and and at Sh- I mean, Sh- at the Sharon Jones concert, there was like maybe a thousand people there, yeah. not even. And so it was a very much a smaller, more intimate thing. But, but also, like, it's a it's an event that you're going to because, and like... And it you, meant something to them because that's where they met. Like, that was their first date. And, like, the same. people who are at that concert, like, you are not going to be like, fuck this, play another song. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not going like, to be like, sure, keep singing. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're going to be charmed because also, like, she's in, like, she's... Well, and, and it was great, too, because, you know, she, as, immediately after it happened, she was like, you know, I'm going to sing a love song. And she, like, got really into it and it, it worked, but, like... I really do think that the main thing for a romantic gesture is that it's got to be personal, and... This movie didn't have that. I don't know! Well, okay, we've kind of been scattershot, but we had a lot to talk about with that last scene, with the ending. Yeah, with the ending. Let's take a moment. Like, dig in. Let's dig in. There's so much. Ugh. Carrie, do you want to start because you uh, you really had the problem? Yeah, you were scene. you were the most aggressively opposed. Well, the ending is why I don't like this movie. 
I mean, I'll you, just there's let, a lot. There's a reasons. there's a lot of reasons I don't like. Why you hate this movie? Yeah, I well, I wouldn't say I hate this movie, but uh, the ending is why I would never watch this movie again. Because I mean, if I were to watch it again, I'd probably stop it before before the ending. <laughs> but okay, so Amy in the movie and Bill Hader they've broken up, and she is trying to win him back unbeknownst to him and so we see her getting ready in her apartment she runs out the door she's trying to hail a cab she ends up getting on the subway she talks to leslie jones and then cut scene on um, the you know we don't see her again then we go to a knicks game where we see what's that sports guy's name jeff oh uh, um, right yeah yeah uh thank you uh we see that guy at a Knicks game, and Bill Hader's there. Knicks game ends. So after the Knicks game, the cheerleaders come out. <laughs> and Bill Hader is still there for some reason. And the cheerleaders come out, and Bill Hader notices that Amy is in with the cheerleaders. And they start doing their uh, routine. And she is dancing, although she's not necessarily nailing all the moves. And which is, that's of, the ending. Well, like, but that's that's honestly like one of the worst parts of it, though, is that she's like kind of like half-assing and like doing the like cute face, where she's like, "I'm not good at this," kind of a thing. And it's just like it's it seems disingenuous with the like a the tenacity that she's shown for like the rest of this movie. Like, yeah. she's not an apologetic person. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the, these other, like, the, her character is not one who would, like, half-ass this, like, anything in her life. And yeah. the fact that she's in this moment, like, oh, look how cute and demure I am, because, like, I'm not gonna, like, do it. You're like, but you're here, and you've chosen to do this thing, and yeah. also... Well, and I just, just... But, like, my thing is, why does she have to win him back through being a cheerleader? Well, and that's, I was just trying to think of, like... Okay, to cite another shitty romantic comedy, and I hate Valentine's Day. In the last, <laughs> in the last scene, there's a, a like a gesture that like brings people together, and God, it's amazing how we always find a worse movie, like a better movie than a, a previously thought low. Uh, but with in I Hate Valentine's Day, uh, there's that scene where they all show up outside of Nia Vardalis's apartment, and uh, John Corbett's like, I got. Uh, antiques and sweaters and things you're scared of because I know you're scared of things and I'm scared of this and he starts singing and it's a stupid scene but the gesture is but like, it's all been set up it's all been set up and the idea is like listen you're afraid I'm afraid but I'm willing to not be afraid for you yeah and in this in train wreck it's basically like like you said Jeff it's this whole thing of like well I think these cheerleaders are beneath me but I'm willing to degrade myself for you or it's the thing where like they're doing the cheerleader bit and it's like you like sports i i did a sports thing and then uptown girl starts playing it's like you like sports and uptown girl which is like such a simplistic so so now uh, we're back together right yeah 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 uptown girl plus cheerleading means back together yeah yeah but the real i mean besides that that ending the thing that i called out while we were watching the movie is there's no transition from Amy rushing to get on the subway to the Knicks game. 
Like, why does she rush to get on the subway like that, that, if she doesn't even... She's not even trying to get to the Knicks game on time. Yeah, you're right. The importance of that timeline is... It makes no sense. It does not make sense. There's no... There's no... Listener, in case you haven't seen the movie, there's nothing prior to her rushing to the subway where she would have any reason to yeah, have a cheerleader's outfit, which she has for the thing, where she would have gotten to know any of these cheerleaders where she would have learned this routine or rehearsed it or pitched a routine to them and either come up with it with them or learn the special routine. And and all this stuff presumably happens based on the movie's timeline between her getting on the, getting off the train because the last time we see her, she's on the train and the time when Bill Hader sees her, which is, what, two hours later at the most? Well, I mean, well, even, if, even in, if you're extrapolating that time, like, even if you're, like, gonna make arguments about that timeline, like, the last time is when she, like, decides that she wants to be with him, which is after the Minecraft joke. Oh, yeah. Like, is where she's like, actually, I do think that this could work out, like, is that moment in the script. But, like, also... If that's the time, which is probably a couple of days before that, realistically, like, it's not a, there's no time for her to, like... Well, and there's no setup for us as a viewer that Amy was going to be in this cheerleading routine. Yeah. So, you know, when it happens, you as the viewer, you're like, oh, this is happening. Okay. Well, and also, of all the fights, they they do have fights. Uh, Aaron and Amy fight during the movie and they one of the things they for sure don't fight about is the cheerleaders it's like the least significant like thing that they disagree about and i mean it's not like she could this would be stupid but it's not like that more logically if we're talking like romantic comedy gestures it would make more sense if it was something like he gave his speech and she is able to, like, listen to it. And she's like, I was I'm just here, saying, I want I you was, to do it again. Yeah. Well, I think more realistically, and the probably the reason they didn't do this is because this is literally how How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days ends, <laughs> is she writes an article about how great he is, and then they, like, meet on the Brooklyn Bridge. But do you remember? Her <laughs> article is going to get published. Yeah. She's fired. But that article... Oh, no, but it ends up getting published just in a different magazine. And so he reads it, and he's like, oh, she said nice things about me. That should have been the romantic gesture. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a really great romantic gesture. It is a much better romantic gesture. But it's not a cinematic romantic gesture. Oh, God. I hate that so much. (laughs) Yeah. And that's why they had... Well, that's probably why they had to do the cheerleading. Well... I don't want to say had to do the cheerleading thing. They literally could have done anything Most else. Most other things. But. It, the cheerleading thing, too, in terms of budget, that is expensive. They yeah. had to yeah. get that. They had to have the stadium to film that. They had mm-hmm. to have all the lights on. They had to get. They had to learn. They had to rent out Madison Square Garden. They had to get the rights. Evening. They had to get they the rights. choreography. Not only for Uptown Girl, oh, which is, we remember, on 30 Rock. The rights for Uptown Girl are expensive. Yeah. Tracy and uh, Liz knew that. <laughs> they fight in it. <laughs> they also had to get the rights for Bombs Over Baghdad by Outkast, yeah. uh, and uh, at least like one or two other songs too. So that, they all also that get money, the, the rights for Matter of Trust by Billy Joel. Yeah. All yeah. that money for that. Billy Joel made a lot of money on this movie. <laughs> Man, that's why he pulled Amy Schumer and Jennifer. Lawrence up on stage. Yeah. Probably, yeah. It's just like you bitches gave me a bunch of money. Yeah, I bet they. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that, like, because that scene is just, yeah, it's super, it's super weird and super... Well, and in that scene, 
we pointed out the fact that she stops doing the routine, her and Bill Hader make out for a second, and then she goes back to doing the routine, but while they're making out, all the cheerleaders are standing behind them, like, still like, dancing. Like, yeah. marking time. Yeah. Like, they're still, like, going through, like, the dancing motion. Physically vamping. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and Jeff, you said that that's, like, a thing that ha you see happen all the time on set, right? Oh, well, I mean, like, I don't want to, like, ruin movies for people. But, like, if you're listening to this podcast, then congratulations. You're, you're a person who enjoys ruining movies. We've um, already ruined a bunch of movies. But, like, it, like that's a thing that, like, that is kind of, like, understood in film culture is that, like, when a director of photography... Um, God, I don't want to, like, shit on DPs. Because they're really nice dudes. I've worked with a lot of really great... Mostly dudes. Mostly dudes. Yeah. Mostly mostly male directors of photography. Um, but uh, it's a thing that happens is that when it comes to, like, the visual element, because they're responsible for the photography. And so, like, for a scene, like, that scene specifically, where you have, like, the women in the background, like, if you just had them standing there, like, doing nothing, like, just standing in those two rows... Like, doing nothing in that scene, <laughs> it would be more, like, more jarring sure. to just have, like, a bunch of women just, like, <laughs> standing stoically in the background, and you would act, like, you would, just, the movement is more soothing, and, like, asks fewer questions, <laughs> um, but, like, it's a really, like, it's really always an interesting thing, because, like, for, as a person who works in the art department, just the choices that uh, I've been asked as a, like as a production designer from a like a, from a DP or cinematographer, um, where they're like, well, can we have wall like can we have windows on every wall of this room? Was a question, was an earnest question that I was asking. <laughs> like, like I would I would like I would like to motivate light. I would like to have the option to motivate light from all of the walls in this room. Oh man! So why can't we just have a window on every single wall? So is wall? this room just? Oh, the whole like, house. So the yeah, the It is it is a greenhouse apparently because there's just windows. There's everywhere. just a, a window in this wall that connects to my kitchen. Don't yeah. worry about it. Don't, don't worry about it. But don't, it's, a, it's don't an think ex, about it. It's too an much. outside window. You can see the outside from it. But also, my kitchen goes that way. Don't think about how the geometry of that works. It's like The Shining. It's, 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 the space is irrelevant. Oh my god, that's so good. But like, I, like they're just like, and it's always interesting because like just the. Uh, one of my f the favorite ones that I've seen recently was in uh, Crimson Peak. I don't know if you saw that. No, no, I didn't. Okay, there is a scene that my friends actually, who also work in the art department, saw, and they were like, "There's a fern in one scene in Crimson Peak." <laughs> like, because they're in this a like fern? no, because there's this like mansion that's like dilapidated and like die, like everything is like dying and like dead, and there's this really like beautiful shot where like they're panning around the room in this hallway. And then there is this very alive fern. <laughs> like, in this, like, in this otherwise, like, dead and dying, like, all of the color palette is just, like, reds and, like, reds and blacks. And oh. you're, like, and it's beautiful and great. And then there's green. And you're, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, like well, why am, is this, why is this here? Like, this doesn't make sense in this room. I'm definitely going to look out for that fern. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the smallest moment, but also it's, like, a really, like... <laughs> We will absolutely like, notice it. Yeah, you guys, you guys will. Like that. But it's like super weird, and it's, it was a thing that my friends were like, "Oh, a DP was like, well, we need to. We have a lighting unit right there that we need to hide yeah. somehow. So how can we do? What does the art department have?" I feel like everybody who 
is involved in film has their thing that they can point out. Like, Paolo's thing that he always points out is boom mics. Yeah. He's like, there's a boom mic. Oh! Boom mic. <laughs> I, oh, I don't, I don't notice that, but it's mostly because I've worked with sound dudes who yeah. are very sensitive yeah. about that. Yeah. Oh, I never pointed out to a sound dude. Oh, God, no, they're, they're, they're really... They're, you just watched a lot of movies where there's like, boom mic. I see the boom. There's a movie we watched, there's a Lou Diamond Phillips movie I watched where there were 40 <laughs> boom mic shots in the movie. It was nuts. It was like, just like, where you'd see, like, it would be like a two-shot scene, and both shots would have the boom mic in the shot. <laughs> right, well, and since we're talking little details, uh, there's one last thing that I had written down that I wanted to mention, which is, every time, and it's very rare, but uh, every time there is something involving blood in this movie, it is... Very well done, uh, to the point of being, like, kind of gross. Like, the knee surgery scene. Like, I mean, part of the joke is that the, it's, like, a really intense scene for uh, Amy. She's, like, she vomits on the window as she watches it. But it also is, like, really gross for us, too. It's, yeah. like, very, very like they, like they, they probably got somebody who is actually going in for knee surgery. And yeah. they're like, yeah, let's just, let's just film that. Let's just put that on. Oh, I figured they just talked to, like, the Nip Tuck producers. But, well, and I don't know if you know this, but Knocked Up, uh, the reason Anne Hathaway dropped out and got replaced with Katherine Heigl is because they wanted to use live birth footage for when the baby was born. And for whatever reason, that was the thing that Anne That's Hathaway was like. That's the deal breaker? Yeah, swear to God. Anne Hathaway was like, what? I will not do this Judd Avatar movie if someone else's live birth is going to be shown. And so... Oh, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I need to reckon with... Anne Hathaway and Seth Rogen being paired as a romantic couple. I don't know how I can... Is it less believable than Seth Rogen and Catherine yes, Heigl? Yes, for some reason, yes. <laughs> I, I think... I, I, mean, I feel like they wouldn't have chemistry for some reason. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I think, well, I think that, like, they're just too... Very... I don't know. I'm probably holding it against Anne Hathaway that she was an in interstellar, and I'm still <laughs> like, that movie sucked so hard. <laughs> Did you like it, Jeff? I'm sorry. Oh, uh, here's here's the I liked the first act of interest. The first, the first three hours. Actually, of I liked, <laughs> no, I like no because actually like because I liked the first. No, I didn't like the first act. I liked the second act of Interstellar. Yeah. I, I yeah. liked all like the space exploration. Yeah, that stuff. part's great. And like the way they did that was cool. And like the puppets that they used for the robots were really cool. Yeah. Um, the first act was dumb. The so third, boring. So boring. The third act was just a big question mark that you're like, we're justifying things in act one. And you're like, no, you're not. You're just making nonsense now. Yeah. You've just act, you've asked more questions that you're not answering. When Matthew oh, McConaughey was in Noah. the time continuum closet or whatever the fuck. <laughs> He's pushing room. books off the bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that was literally the Why was he trapped in there? I don't understand that. I, like, I don't, that's, because they were like, this is how black holes maybe work. We don't know. Something. This could be what that is. All right, do you guys have anything else you want to talk <laughs> yeah. about? Uh, anything so, else you've written down? Interstellar <laughs> sucked. I, uh, I wrote down raviolis. <laughs> Do you want to get some raviolis? <laughs> I that was really charming. I think that I, I think thought that, that I was think... charming too. He pulled it off. I don't think I've ever heard anyone ask anyone else if they want to get raviolis. And he, yeah, and he kissed her right afterwards, and I wasn't laughing. I was like, okay, I was like, yeah, yeah that's it is sweet. realistic that this would happen. Yeah, uh, he he is a very charming male lead. He should be in more stuff. Yeah, um, I think. 
like I want like I like this I like this movie conceptually um, and the practical application I, of it I don't think that it necessarily works yeah well. I would love to see Amy Schumer write another movie but have someone better direct it or co-write it with say Jesse Klein who writes Inside Amy Schumer yeah. who's the head writer for Inside Amy Schumer why is it is it is it because Amy Schumer just released a book that she's not doing movies right now? And she's no, not doing her show? I, I think no. it was like, you have to remember too, with Amy Schumer, when this movie came out, it became this huge thing where it's like, all right, you're the big female comedian now. So you represent all of like all white femininity. Yeah. And so she suddenly had to answer for all these things. Like when the train wreck shooting happened, she felt obliged to come out and talk about it and like work on gun control laws and then, like, all these other little controversies that happen, it's be very much become, like, listen, Amy, you are not an offensive comedian anymore. You are this beacon, and you have to hold these standards. And so I imagine, uh, besides doing her show, she's she isn't really working on movies because... I can't imagine that scrutiny was any fun for her. Like, well, she it's, got a, it's a bit that Pat Oswalt does, where, like... Uh, in his stand-up where he talks about, like, working on scripts for, like, features, and he talks about, I was like, you're, the, the notes process for those kind of, like, films are just so devastating. Yeah. Is that Be when he talks about deathbed? No. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, yeah, it's, like, right before that where he's like, well, they're eating a sandwich in this scene, but then they're wearing a hat on page 15. What's that about? Are those two <laughs> things connected? And, like, there's just so much of, like, the, the, like, the like capital I, like, industry yeah. that is, like, just people who gently don't get it, but yeah. have enough money to make movies. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's, it's, it's the biggest problem that I had with this movie is that it is a, is an industry yeah, film. It's yeah, it's definitely. And, like, I think that that's why... So we bring it back to like for Biggs, our, our boy Mikey B. Uh, <laughs> but like for like because his because he just came out with a movie, yeah. Um, which neither none of us no, have seen. not yet. <laughs> um, but like I'm I'm excited to see it because like even Sleepwalk with Me was good. Yeah. In that like it was different. It was an indie film, and he chose to do an indie film with that. And part of it was necessity, but also like I think that it. It would that film wouldn't have worked as a major motion picture? No, yeah, yeah. it's really in the studio system. Because it's very like, personal and small, and it needs to. It needed to not. It the the little bit of roughness that was in it helped it a lot. It yeah. made it much more brutal, and it didn't need to be like he didn't need to be the hero in the end. Yeah. He was allowed to go like, yeah, I kind of did a shitty thing, and I ruined something. The end. <laughs> like yeah. he was allowed to do that, and like, and I think that. This movie would have done a lot better if it, like, Trainwreck, if it were, if we didn't have the expectation of it. Yeah. Like, if it was just If it didn't indie, have the, like, glamour sheen on it. Yeah, if it was just allowed to be, like, an indie darling. Like, Obvious like, Child, almost. Yeah, that oh, was actually the movie that I was also going to, like, bring up. is because that movie, it was, like... That movie's great. Harrowing. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I... Ugh. I always... I just... That's a gut punch, but also laugh punch movie. Jenny Slate, I just want to, like, shout out how perfect. Like, I've, ha like, point to something that Jenny Slate has done. Audience also, your <laughs> input is welcome. Well, something and, Jenny Slate has done that you hated. And, you know, now she's so. dating Chris Evans, so. <laughs> she got Way it. to go, Jenny Slate. Also proves that Chris Evans has a great sense of humor. Yeah. Too. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Well, we did just watch him in Scary Movie 2, so... Or no, no, not Scary Movie 2. Not uh, another team movie? Not another team movie. Thank you, Jeff. Yep, I was, I was like, like, I'm say, pretty sure. The Perfect sure. Store, which we did watch way more recently. Yeah. <laughs> We've been going back through Oof. 90s, uh, like, te- teen Oof. dramas. It's been great. Carrie, you got anything else you want to talk about? Um... No, and I don't know what my teachable moment is well, going to be. I got teachable moments. Jeff, do you have anything else? Are you ready to move into... Yeah, let's go into teachable moments. All right. Moments. Well, I'll start if you guys still need a moment. Um, my big teachable moment with this, and this is an easy one, but uh, it's very true for this. We've talked about it with other movies. Uh, Man of the Year was the other one I brought this point up. So you can use Man of the Year and Trainwreck as examples of what a terribly edited movie looks like. Uh, Trainwreck, more so than anything, is listless. A lot of the jokes might actually be salvageable with a tighter cut or just like removing the filler. Like we said, the Orlando Blooms joke could work if the four failed sports team jokes preceding it had been removed. Or other just little scenes where LeBron James's cheapness is like slowly built up instead of having one, the very first time he's on screen, having the joke fully explained and then having the joke repeat in more or less the same form, have it be like, he in the first scene where he picks up his glasses because he doesn't want to buy a new pair of glasses. Have him just do that, leave. Or just have that be the joke and then have him do character stuff. And then at dinner, they have the scene and then at the very end, he tries to get out of the check. And just little things like that instead of, like, but they never do it. And that is definitely... Uh, like, I mean, some of it's written, some of it's Judd Apatow being like, yeah, just riff, just riff, just keep going. But when you get into the editing room, there's no way, based on how much dead air was in these scenes, that they couldn't have edited it tighter. There's no way this movie had to be... Nice, Gary. There's no reason this movie had to be over two hours long. It's a romantic comedy with no subtext. Or no, no. intentional subtext. Well, and, like, I feel like nothing is accomplished... Like, Does Amy's character grow? Nothing, and nothing very complicated is introduced or explained. None of the exposition is like, all right, hold on, let's lay this out so we find it's... All the other characters also are pretty, like, nice people, and yeah. so the only person who really does need to grow is Amy, beside, well, I guess her co- co-workers, but we don't know them well enough to care if they grow or not. Yeah. So yeah, uh, if you were so inclined, I'm sure an adventurous enough person probably could take the unrated version of this movie and cut it down to a really good 85-minute comedy. Maybe not hilarious, but I feel like an 85-minute cut of this movie would at least be really enjoyable. Yeah. Like a great airplane movie. You could cut out all the B-roll of New York City. Yeah. Or just, like, some of the... There's a lot of B-plots that go nowhere. Or montages, like that sad montage where Amy and uh, Bill Hader's character break up and she puts that boat in the lake and watches it sail away. Yeah, just stuff like that. So, okay, that is my teachable lesson right there, is this is another classic example of bad editing. Bam. That was a good one, Paolo. Yeah. I don't think I can even come close to being as good as that one. Well, you'll you'll do it. I have faith in you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Jeff, you got one? Oh, I feel like you touched on a thing that I immediately forgot about <laughs> that I was going to like elaborate on cuz like it's the uh, filibuster for a second. Let's see what I can get well, to. Well, I can I can also jump in. I guess my 
My teachable moment goes back to the conversation we had before we started talking about teachable moments, which was, you know, opting for the smaller budget or smaller project. Like the, this movie, as we mentioned, probably would have been a great indie movie. And... (laughs) I just thought of a great Jay Leno quote, which is, nothing hurts comedy like money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he would say that. Jay Leno said that about Little Miss Sunshine, about why Little Miss Sunshine was good. It was because it was... He, for whatever reason, when Roger Ebert was sick... Uh, he sat in for Roger Ebert on Ebert and Roper. What? And said Jay Leno and Roper read Little Sunshine. I'm so sorry that I brought the sidetrack, but yeah. Um, what? Jay Leno and Richard Roper? They did, they were, did at the movies. Oh, yeah. What? Here's what? Like, like Jay Leno, <laughs> I... You're blowing my <laughs> so mind! So sorry. No, like, I feel like, I feel like Jay Leno, like, culturally is shat on a lot. Because of the tonight, because of yeah. like, because of just his tenure yeah. at the Tonight Show, and yeah. like how formulaic <laughs> that was, and like how he didn't hate it as much as Letterman did. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> where like where Letterman like he was he did it for about the same kind of amount of time, but like Letterman openly hated doing it yeah. for a lot of the career. We were like, oh, I feel bad about how much you don't want to be doing this <laughs> yeah. job. But like, but Jay, he still did it. But he still did it. Like Jay Leno loved doing the job, and like he had a bunch of fun with it, even though the jokes were bad. And he knew the jokes were bad. Like he was there with the rest of us. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I have to tell shitty jokes every night. They're not all gonna be winners. <laughs> um, Whatever. Like, what? I gotta do this every night because a guy backstage is telling me I have to. Yeah. Um, and like, and that's the yeah. That's again the kind of the problem is that like we is that we are. Like, the industry is beholden to itself and, like, and beholden to making money. And so there are problems with the movie, like, having to sell it abroad where, like, we have to be speak very generally about things that are more nuanced because of... Well, and there's so many examples of directors who make, like, great, wonderful, independent small movies that tell a beautiful story and then they immediately get a big budget movie and that movie fucking sucks. Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. Or, um, what's, uh, 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 Tre- Tremoro? Um, what? is that his last name? Colin? Oh, uh, the guy who directed uh, Safety Net Guaranteed. Yeah. Trevorrow. Something, Colin yeah. Trevorrow, something like that. And he yeah. did, didn't he do Jurassic World? Yep. And Jurassic World is terrible. <laughs> and it couldn't have had more money. Like, it really, no. money was not an issue because they it was a guaranteed moneymaker. They really could have made anything and called it Jurassic World and it would have made its budget back. Yeah, and there's infinite examples of this happening. And so that Jay Leno quote is really applicable. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. I, but, I guess that's like, it's not really a teachable moment as much as like a no, common, it's commentary. Fair, you can see the, like what we were talking about before, all the cameos and all like the use of the stadiums. Yeah, and we didn't even mention... Where, where, where the money was put in this yeah. movie was not into development. Yeah, yeah, we didn't even mention that Matthew Broderick is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, God. <laughs> and, um, uh, Merv... Marv Albert. Marv Albert, yeah. Yeah. But, like, and it's one of those things where, like, the... I feel like, yeah, if it was an indie movie, there would be a, a lot more freedom to do whatever they want. And I think that, like... It would have been tighter, for sure. And we didn't really cover this in the episode, but, like, alcohol... Like, how generally they always talk about, like, you drink alcohol, and that's a problem. And, like, kind of the very, like, it felt robotic every time they talked about, like, you're drinking too much. Kind of, like, Mm. it was always just very 
it felt disingenuous. Because, like, people who have drinking problems, you're not like, hey, you drink too much. You're not just going to be like, yeah, she drinks a lot, but it's blah, blah, blah. You're like, eh, this is a real problem. Yeah. This is yeah. what a problem looks like. The most problematic drinking thing was that she slept over at that guy's house and woke up on Staten Island. That's, like, the worst drinking the thing The most happened. problematic drinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I think that, like, those things are points that don't necessarily make sense in higher culture. Where, and I mean, that's kind of where we live. We live in, like, we're the, and we are an NPR crowd. Yeah. I'm going to go yes. ahead and say that. Like, that we are, we are people who, like, who like fine We make culture. a podcast. Yeah, so. we're, we are podcasters. So we're, we're definitely yeah. NPR people. <laughs> uh, NYC, uh, WBEZ Chicago. Yep. Hit us up. WBUR. This is all films considered. <laughs> um, but alternate, like, alternate name for a podcast. Right. But it's very interesting because when you look at movies in terms of like their international sales, and that's where a lot of movies make monies back nowadays. Yeah. Um, I think that that is always an interesting thing to consider with these big movies is that when you have a big budget, the audience that you're really more playing for nowadays is an international audience. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of skate over more difficult things, and especially in a movie like Trainwreck, where you're dealing with things that are not necessarily as widely accepted in other cultures, like a female lead, drinking, drug use, like just very kind of problematic behavior in general, like, it, it's a harder sell to audiences that are a little bit more conservative. Yeah. Sure, um, yeah. And when you are a little bit beholden to Maybe those... not in Germany, where this movie's called Dating Queen. <laughs> <laughs> you are the dating queen! Young and <laughs> yep. But, like, I think that, yeah, it's just one of those things where, uh, abroad, it's it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to sell, and I think that's where you have to had the movie with I would like to see international cuts of this movie is like, yeah. like yeah. I think that that would be an interesting point because I feel like they're they would vilify her a little bit more <laughs> so she goes on a date with a with an honorable Chinese man it's just like <laughs> like just, just hates her it's like my I, I could go anywhere and find a more a wonderful woman than you you are the <laughs> worst <laughs> woman I've ever met you gotta be able to any of my standards <laughs> Right, and that's just it's it's weird shit like that where when we're selling movies international, when we're looking to an international audience, the weird brands of censorship that expose themselves. Yeah, and I mean like that's for. Uh, did you guys see Suicide Squad? No, no, but I heard I read about some of this. Yeah, Ooh, um, the people who listen to this podcast either have seen Suicide Squad. Go and, ahead and spoil. Yeah, it. talk about uh, it. We spoil some of them. I mean, it's just like it's a movie where like it was the most formulaic thing. They have a. The bad guy is a like, person who's like, I have the magic to destroy reality. And all of these people with all of their machines, and, like they worship the machines. And I'm going to show them how old school magic works by making a giant machine. And you're like, <laughs> but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like what you did was just like a cool visual effects thing that's going to read across language. And it's just going to be a giant light in the sky. Like, this is like, this is where the bad guy is. It's kind of the video game thing where you're like, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. here's where you're going. <laughs> all right. Well, it sounds like we're all done talking about Trainwreck. <laughs> I think we Trainwrecked that movie. Yeah. Yeah. This was, I'm not going to compare the, in the discussion of Trainwreck to a Trainwreck. 
But we, we uh, hopefully we, my editing. I was gonna say uh, the, we'll make it not a train wreck. Yes. A listener, you be the judge. <laughs> I was gonna say we did not talk about the fact that text this- train wreck to two nine five six six. You cannot do that. You can't put that in here. <laughs> we do not own that number. <laughs> do it, listener. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Text train wreck to five 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 to Seven. vote to vote train wreck. On Secret Cinema. Uh, that's it. I don't even have anything. Uh, <laughs> okay. Dad I hope that we weren't too far off the rails. Oh! oh! Well, this we... has been... Yeah. Do this... it. All right, you ready? Yeah. You about to say something? No, I'm done. All right. Well, this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. And I'm special guest Jeffrey Cheney. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for coming, <laughs> Jeff. And we'll see you listeners never, but we will talk to you later. Bye. Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Corona. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Podcast. On Twitter, at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Lady Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.